the song and then come up and speak and whatnot. So good morning, everyone. <laughs> I'm really happy, again, to be able to share some of these ideas this week. You know, uh, sometimes it's almost a month between coming up with a name for a topic and then actually giving the lecture. And I'm not quite sure where I was at when I came up with this one of yachts and rowboats. Uh, so I wasn't real sure what to do with it this week, but I think Ma has come in and saved me and put some interesting ideas together. Uh, it's going to go a little bit all over the place this morning. It might have a form. If it does, it's accidental. Uh, I'm just going to more or less share a lot of ideas that have come my way this week that has made it a very interesting time. But before I start, I want to go with our tradition, or my tradition, I guess, if I want to use a my, to talk about what's important first, to set our minds in that space first. And I always go to Takor for that, to start, when he said that in your spiritual life, the most important thing the most was, was that sincerity and that earnestness, which we mention again and again every time I get a chance, to keep our, ourselves in that space, to be sincere and to be earnest when it comes to our spiritual life and actually in everything that we do, that the heart and the head are connected and, and in unison. And the second one comes from our beloved Jesus when he was asked what the most important thing in spiritual life was, or in life, he didn't limit it to spiritual life, and he said to love, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other, as you, uh, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, uh, which Vedanta very joyfully brings those two things together uh, for me. And then the third thing goes back to Thakur, to Ramakrishna when he was sitting on the banks of the Ganges doing his spiritual practice one day and thinking about the nature of reality. And uh, he was doing away with the pairs of opposites and to find that stillness, that peace that never changes. And uh, he was throwing out, you know, Mother, here's your good and here's your bad. Take them both and just give me pure love for you. And he came to the pair of opposites, the truth and untruth, and he started to go through the action of throwing it out and realized that Mother stopped him. He couldn't throw out truth. That truth is fundamental to uh, our quest for the divine, to our knowing who we are, what we are, and what this world is about. So with those three things, our sincerity and earnestness in tow, our love for God and one another in the forefront of our mind, and with truth as our pole star, we start, we begin. And I always go to my friend Hafiz because he pulled me in initially back to spiritual life when I didn't think I had a use for it. And this one's a little bit longer than usual, so I, if I have to apologize for that, I do. <laughs> Hafiz uh, named this one, Join Me in the Pure Atmosphere. I slip in and out of the sea at night with this amazed soul I have. I am like a magnificent, magic ocean turtle who sometimes sets aside his vast wings of blue effulgence when I crawl upon your shores to leave my divine seed of verse. Let me remain cryptic tonight, all the way till dawn, as I orbit God in this holy, ecstatic mood. Grab hold of the corners of my luminous, tender shell, and I will whirl for you. For I am covered with eminent crystals that I have gathered from the infinite depths of love.
Follow my tracks in the sand that lead beyond thought and space, for I can see deep down that you really are a golden bird that needs to dance. With your spirit enraptured and descending on the currents of light, on the currents of his breath, join me with your hands, your wings, your hooves, or your fins in my sublime applause. Join me in the pure atmosphere of gratitude for life. I slip in and out of the moon each night with gracious ease with this brilliant heart I have, the beautiful friend, the exquisite one, sometimes steps from his invisible body and walks upon our shore so that we might see and we might know his radiant tender shell, his eminent crowns that are these three worlds. Oh, grab hold of the hem of his skirt as he spins this universe on an emerald dance floor. Cling to the transcendent elements in his glance as the beloved forever whirls his love. Hafiz, slips in and out of God at night, tied to his own amazed soul. So, of yachts and rowboats. <laughs> I was trying to get uh, two extremes, you know, I thought that, I kind of was thinking that we would be robots, or robo rowboats, robots. Rowboats, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> that we would be rowboats and that uh, Takor and Jesus and Buddha and those would be, you know, the yachts, the big boats. But uh, Vivekananda immediately in the first verse uh, that came up on the screen told me, showed me that I was absolutely wrong in my, in my low end estimation. <laughs> he says, a tremendous stream is flowing toward the ocean, carrying little bits of paper and straw hither and thither on it. They may struggle to go back, but in the long run, they must flow down to the ocean. So you and I and all nature are like these little straws carried in mad current toward the ocean of life, perfection, and God. We may struggle to go back or float against the current and play all sorts of pranks, but in the long run, we must go. We must join this great ocean of life and bliss. So, not rowboats, we're pieces of trash. <laughs> Floatsome, as it were, floating on the ocean, floating on the river, getting caught in little whirlpools as we go along. But this idea of water was very important to Takor. I had no idea until I put this talk together how much he talks about water and the ocean and boats and currents and, you know, Satchitananda, this ocean of bliss, you know. He has some beautiful, beautiful imagery in there that I'm going to share this morning that was so inspiring to me and uh, really uh, brought some wonderful moments to me just yesterday, which I want to share in a moment. But I want to set the scene. So we've got ourselves floating on this, on this uh, you know, kind of helpless, as it were, sort of discarded, uh, confused, uh, meaningless pieces of paper and straw and whatnot, just kind of being carried along in the eddies of a... Of a, a, a a stream or a river, not really too aware of what's going on. We're just kind of going to bed and waking up and dealing with what comes and, you know, trying to keep everything happy, keep everything smooth. But really the overall picture we're only guessing at, you know, the stream's really big and we don't have much of an idea where it is. There's a couple of songs that uh, the master sings and uh, some of his company. Vaishnav Charan sang a song and one of the verses said, 
Govinda says, Behold, my days are passing by in vain. In the world's deep and shoreless sea, oh, let me not be drowned. So he understood and saw that, that vanity of life, you know, that the meaningless repetition. I mean, if you take God out of the picture, if you take that divine love out of the picture and just go for a straight materialistic view, which you can, you certainly are welcome to do that. But all meaning becomes, becomes a, a, what you call, what would you say, generated. You know, you have to generate meaning out of things. Nothing has any inherent beauty to it. Nothing has any inherent meaning to it. You have to string it to relativities to, to make things important. And that's kind of a loss. You know, in this, in this world, it gets to be that way. You know, as you're floating along on the stream, you're just going along trying to grab on, trying to make sense. Nothing seems to have an order. You know, nothing seems to have a hierarchy of importance. Nothing seems to, to come out and say, this is the meaning, this is the point. And it's easy to get caught in that and to get lost in that. You know, how many times do you have to get up for work and go out the door and shake your head just unbelieving that you're doing this again? You know, like, oh, God, here it goes. I worked just long enough at a job to get that, <laughs> to get that feeling. <laughs> it was a government job, too, so I really had that feeling. In another, in another part of the chapter, another one sings a song. It was my heart's desire to sail my boat across the ocean of this mortal life. O Durga, with your name upon my lips. You know, it's just, it's just that. We just want to get through this life in, in a meaningful way. We want to be remembered for something. We want to leave a mark that's positive, that's beautiful. And there's all different kinds of ways that scream out for that to be done, you know. Whether, you know, whether it's fame and fortune, you know, or whether it's, it's good works or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, inventing the latest and greatest thing. There's a lot of things driving uh, the young, younger generation, especially who are just starting out their course for what their life is about, you know, and that uh, just to do this successfully. And he says, he adds a little piece here at the very end, the very last words of his song, O Durga, I want to cross this ocean with your name upon my lips. There's a lot of that in, in, in the gospel, especially in Hinduism, especially this idea of repeating God's name. And uh, it's something that I, uh, from a Christian background, didn't really understand didn't, uh, and have struggled with to understand. Like, what is that? Why, why would you do that? Just repeat this thing over and over and over again. It's got a lot of odd imagery associated with it for someone unfamiliar. So I've given a lot of thought to it. And uh, part of it um, happened yesterday. Uh, on my walk. Yesterday was a beautiful day. I mean, it was really, really beautiful out there. The sun, it was like 75 degrees. And uh, I go down walking and I get down to, uh, I walk well through the neighborhoods across the street and then down to the Matthew Henson Trail to get into the woods. And uh, on the way down there, I had a couple of things happen. Actually, one happened on the way to the woods and the other one happened just after I had gotten into the woods. And uh, because I was thinking about these things, uh, I feel like Mother really showed me uh, some really important things. One of them was walking down the street uh, as I was crossing over. There was a a woman, uh, a mom, and her college-aged son. And uh, I was walking close enough that I got a little snippet of life as it happened. The son was asking the mother for money to pay for his apartment for the summer. And the mother was saying, what are you coming to mom and dad to pay for everything for? That's not the way it should be done. He says, oh, well, you and dad offered. 
And she says, yeah, well, that's when we thought you had no money, but you have all this money saved. And he says, well, that was for an emergency in case I didn't have a job. And she said, well, you spend that before you come and ask for more, <laughs> like that. And I walked by, and I remembered, you know, it took me back to, to I, I probably everybody in this room has had that conversation with their parents if you went to college or, or even if you didn't go to college but had to pay rent or something some month. You know, and I, as I walked by and I heard that play, I, I smiled to myself and thought, how many times in the revolutions of this world has that conversation happened? But then it began to take on a little bit of a darker turn for me because I, I started to, to feel like this sense of unimportance, like things are just spinning, just going round. That man, that boy is, is having that moment right now that I've already had, that the next person will have. It's the same moment, the same experience, the same drudgery, as it were, kind of took my mind, you know, and I started thinking, where in all of this is meaning for me? You know, where every day you get up, you mess the bed up, you get up, you have breakfast, you go through the exact same routine at night, you get you, you get back in, in the bed. I mean, it's like, how many times do we do the same things over and over and over and over again in this life? And, and, and where, where is the meaning in that? And I was walking along and I was getting kind of depressed in that, in that kind of thinking. I was getting a little bit down, even though it was so beautiful out there. But that's what grabbed my attention was this idea of having God's name on your lips, that, that thought of the divine, not as the third party experience, but as the, the experience experience, to be present, to stop, to, to let the future, let the past fall away out of thought, let the future fall away out of thought, and let the moment that is just be what it was. And I found that as I walked and just experienced how beautiful it was outside, just being that sense of life, you know, that, that sense of, of newness, that sense of sun, that sense of like anything could happen at any minute, you know, and just that sense of communion that happens when you, when you remember God, when you remember that divinity, when you remember pure love, you know, that is, that is being masked by all of the changing facade. And how beautiful that was to come into that moment. And it was in that spirit that I walked into the woods and was almost overwhelmed. You know, I don't know. The, all the leaves are new this time of year. You know, I, I've been in California for, for 30 years. So you forgive some of my naivete here. But, you know, the leaves don't fall off the trees there. So you don't, you don't get new leaves. <laughs> and there's a big difference. I walked into those woods and all these brand new leaves, they were perfect. I mean, they hadn't been battered by the wind yet. They haven't lost their shape. They're not, they haven't aged. I mean, they're just a beautiful lime green and the sun shining through them, all the different hues of green and the breeze. I mean, it was, it was just exquisite, especially having been put into this mood already of, you know, walking in the presence of the divine and being mindful of God and love. And it was so gorgeous. And I came upon this park bench on the left and there was an old man sitting there he had big giant uh, headphones on. You know, the, the they were the, the the kind that are real popular right now with the big B on them. <laughs> so he was sitting there, and he had a giant newspaper on, uh, folded out in front of him, reading the newspaper. So here it was funny because the contrast was so real of what was happening for the two of us. You know, that I, I felt like I was present, and it was beautiful in this day, and the birds, and the trees, and these perfect leaves, and the sun coming through, and the breeze. 
And then this man who was shutting all of that out, <laughs> you know, shutting it all about listening to his music on his headphones and reading the newspaper, which if that's a positive thing, it's, it's, it's usually only positive for about one in ten articles that you, might, <laughs> that you might be reading. And I thought, my God, there I am. There's, there's why I struggle with moods and why I, why, why I struggle with, with happiness and with meaning and why I struggle with just being caught up in the world. Because here I am in the presence of the divine, always. Here we are this morning in the presence of the divine, the God that is love incarnate, the very purpose of your life emanating, making your heart beat, making your lungs move, you know, sitting there just waiting for you to pay attention for a moment so it can bust out in a smile, you know, a, a sense of contentment in that moment. And what have I done? I've surrounded myself. I've, <laughs> I've completely barricaded the new leaves and the trees and the breeze with a giant newspaper of things that, you know, I think are important, you know, that, that have to be dealt with that are going on in the world. And I've shut out the birds and, I've, you know, the rustle of the leaves and the breeze and the, the brook with giant headphones, you know, listening to things of desire, you know, the things that I want and the things that give me physical pleasure. And I thought, there it is. You know, there it is. There's the problem laid out right there for me. That I get caught up. I get lost. You know, I keep being distracted. Mother's name's not on my lips. I'm not recognizing her. I'm not seeing her. I'm seeing newspapers and and things of the senses. There was a, um, uh, a thing that uh, Sri Nishagadatta wrote about in this uh, moment. But first I want to go, I'm going to summarize the whole talk. I, the, I promised you it would be everywhere, so now we're starting, because all of that was an aside. The summary for this talk uh, was given by Takor. We're going to come back to that moment of being in the present in just a second. But uh, Takor kind of lays out the whole uh, flow of kind of this whole idea of the boat and life and floating on the, on the river and being in the present so he lays it out. This is my summary. So we're going to start with the summary and end with the summary. <laughs> Takur is talking now. He's sitting there with M in a room full of devotees. And he's talking about God. And he says, you know, still another day, she, meaning God, showed me an ocean taking the form of a salt doll, literally a doll made out of salt. And I was going to go and measure how deep the ocean is. While doing this, though, through the grace of the guru, I was turned to stone. Okay, so he didn't get lost. He turned to stone. He goes down. He says, and then I saw a ship, and at once I got into it. The helmsman was the guru, the teacher. I hope you pray every day to Satchitananda, who is the guru. Do you? <laughs> so I wanted to stop there for a second, because that's our first, the first point. When you see a ship, you get in. <laughs> You're, even if you're measuring the depth, if you're trying to figure out the point of life, you know, if you're trying to figure out the meaning, how, how deep is this? What is, the me, what is the philosophy of this life? What is behind it? What point of it? God, God is your ship. <laughs> and at the helm is the teacher, the guru, you know, that, that kind of gives you that direction. So he goes and he gets in the boat. And the first thing he says after he's gotten in the boat that has this guru, the guru as the helmsman, he turns to the devotees, he turns to you right now, and he says, oh, I hope, I hope that you pray every day to God, to Satchit Ananda, who is the guru. Do you? Do you? 
Have you prayed yet today? If you haven't, do it real quick while we're talking. (laughs) Touch that divinity. You know, when you wake up in the morning, touch that divinity first thing. Pray. Set up that interaction for the day. And stay in that interaction because that interaction will give everything that happens to you a delightful sense of meaning in the day. And a delightful sense of detachment because you'll have to back off and wonder, what did it mean? What were you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? There's this interaction, and it, and it bodes back to, to, to Swamiji's words when he says, stop seeking God, quit it, <laughs> see God. God is self-effulgent. God is apparent. You don't have to look for him or her. You don't have to go out anywhere to find it. Start seeing it. Look around the room. He is the, he is the breath of every set of lungs in this room. He's the light in every pair of eyes in this room. He's the smile on every... He's the grimace on every face if there's not a smile. God is present. See him. Recognize that. And live your life accordingly. Pray to the guru every day. M, fortunately, said, yes. Yes, sir, I do. I did. And the master says, the guru is the helmsman. The teacher is the helmsman in our boat. I saw that I and you were two different things. Again, I jumped into the ocean, and I was changed into a fish. I found myself swimming joyfully in the ocean of Satchitananda. Satchitananda. These are all very deep mysteries. What can you understand through reasoning? You will realize everything when God himself teaches you. Then you will not lack any knowledge. See, that's the magic thing. That's the magic part there. If you jump, you know, you after you've got the boat, after you've got your orientation right, after you've got your guru, your teacher established, after you've got that, that consciousness of God, of the divinity that's in you and around you and filling everything about you, then you become a fish. <laughs> and you can jump into that ocean, you can jump into this life, and you can swim freely in what is the ocean of Satchitananda. It's not an imaginary place. It's not an imaginary thing that that Thakur talked about. It's not even a high thing that you have to get to a certain point of, of realization to experience. You are, at this very moment, swimming in the ocean of Satchitananda. The difference is, you're not a fish yet. <laughs> you're not swimming joyfully. You're still pushing against currents and still insisting on pleasures according to your own rules, according to the body, according to the mind, according to smallness. But this is the ocean of Satchitananda, and we're invited to jump out of the security of our boat and to enjoy this experience of God, to drink deeply of this experience of being together as one and a whole. So we have these God, these, these, this, this walk yesterday through this ocean of Satchitananda. We had an example of the old man sitting on the side, completely surrounded and guarded, making sure he didn't enjoy any of those things. I'll give him a break, but, you know, I'm <laughs> picking on him. But giving, showing me exactly how we take this artificial world and block out all the rest. In this idea of the present, this morning, I wanted, I wanted to talk more about it. So this morning I went quickly uh, to a book called uh, You Are That or I Am That. Sri Nishagadatta, because if anybody can talk about the present, it's, it's him as a teacher. So he says, uh, he, he was being interviewed, you know, question and answer, and, the, and this, this devotee says, says to him, well, what, what is special about the present? What's special about the moment? 
And uh, Nishagadatta says, well, there's nothing peculiar in the present event to make it different from the past or the future. For a moment, the past was actual and the future will become so. What makes the present so different? Obviously, my presence. I am real, for I am always now, in the present, and what is with me now shares my reality. The past is in memory, the future in imagination. There is nothing in the present event itself that makes it stand out as real. It may be some simple periodical occurrence, like the striking of a clock. In spite of our knowing that the successive strokes are identical, the present stroke is quite different from the previous one and quite different from the next, as remembered or expected. A thing focused in the now is with me, for I am ever-present. It is my own reality that I impart to the present event. So it's not a circumstance that makes this moment precious and beautiful. It's you, the light of, of your presence. And what is that light? We all know instinctively that light is the divine. Takor, Jesus, Buddha, they've all said that a million times. That it's that divinity in you that is reflected off of the current moment that makes it special, that makes it infinitely more priceless than the past, the big pile of moments that have already happened, and infinitely more important than the treasure of imaginations for the future. This divinity in you is what makes this moment special and this moment beautiful and this moment priceless. Take hold of that, bathe in that, jump into that as a fish and swim happily and joyfully in the ocean of Satchit Ananda. And when Thakur says, these are all deep mysteries, what can you understand through reasoning? You will realize everything when God himself teaches you. That's when God himself can teach you. When you're sitting right here and you're aware that you are in this ocean of Satchit Ananda, consciousness, intelligence, love, absolute, that you're swimming in God, inundated with God. As soon as you begin to realize or to remember that, to put that in the forefront of your mind, then you can hear him. Then you can hear him. And he will teach you himself. He will teach you himself. Everything that happens to you in the day becomes an interaction with you and God. An interaction between you and the beloved, this amazing experience that Hafiz had where every night he dances with the divine, with the beloved. You would never have to wonder, is there a God? You never have to go and prove the existence of God when you live your life in the awareness of God, in the presence of God. No need for definitions. No need to tell anybody what it is. No need to define it or to make it true or untrue. It is the very beauty and essence of living. Carry that with you as your very own, and your life becomes this jeweled turtle, <laughs> this dance of the divine, gathering the gems of love from the depths of the sea of Satchit Ananda. So as we go along <laughs> in this ocean, we've basically got our choice now of three boats. We've seen one is, is just life itself. You know, jump in the boat, set God as your guru, and then you can, you're free to jump out of the boat into the ocean. 
But there's there's three different types of boats that I that I found while doing word searches. <laughs> the first one is that you are your own ship. In Raja Yoga, Swami Vivekananda says, this body is the boat which will carry us to the other shore of the ocean of life. It must be taken care of. Unhealthy persons cannot be yogis. Mental laziness makes us lose all lively interest in the subject, without which there will be neither the will nor the energy to practice. Doubts will arise in the mind about the truth of the science, however strong one's intellectual conviction may be, until certain peculiar psychic experiences come. These glimpses strengthen the mind and make the student persevere. Some days or weeks when you are practicing, the mind will be calm and easily concentrated, and you will find yourself progressing fast. So you'll have beautiful days when you're, when you're free to walk without a care in the world. Those days will come, but then there'll be days, too, where you're stuck behind the newspaper, you know. And you will find yourself progressing fast, and all of a sudden the progress will stop one day. You'll find yourself, as it were, stranded. Persevere. All progress proceeds by such a rise and such a fall. All right? So this body is, 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 is one of your boats for crossing this world. So that's why you've got to take care of it. Keep it trim, keep it healthy, you know, be respectful of it. You know, don't, don't, don't think that it's more than just a boat. I mean, don't, <laughs> don't start identifying yourself with it. Just understand that you are a passenger of it. You're, you're looking, you're using its eyes, you're using its ears, you're using its sense of touch and smell as you make it through this world as an interface, as it were, to experience God, to experience the divine in this play for whatever reason. So take care of it and sharpen it. You know, I, I highlighted this, this line here where it says mental laziness makes us, all, makes us lose all lively interest in the subject, pretty much any subject. And I find for myself, this is where I'm going to come out and make a confession. <laughs> One of the biggest mind-nulling influences in my life right now is the Internet. <laughs> There's nothing more serving for mental laziness than the Internet, because you can sit there and occupy your mind on drivel for hours at a time, hours at a time. Funny kitty videos, you know, touching news stories about, you know, little children being helped by, you know, generous old men and whatnot. <laughs> Just, there's, there's so much there. And you can sit there and you cannot apply yourself to anything, you know. Not pick up a book and actually study something. Not sit and actually concentrate the mind. But just let the mind kind of literally flip-flop from, you know, one thing to the next, one image to the next, one sound to the next, whatever. As long as you want that mental laziness. And what happens? Unfortunately, I've seen it happen. The mind grows lazy. That becomes its pastime of choice, just flipping, just flipping, you know, being entertained literally with one sensation after another, just laying there. No development, no discipline, you know, no focus, no ability to gather itself in and, uh, and to, to, to take that boat forward, you know, to hear the words of the teacher, the guru. So be careful of that. Mental laziness is a big problem, a big problem that will distract you and keep you from being aware of God, keep you aware from being aware of the divine. And you won't be able to hear. And when you can't hear the beloved, what are you hearing? Who knows? Who knows? But it won't bring you the joy. It won't bring you the satisfaction of your own nature. 
And then this idea of perseverance with this body. You know, one thing the body always does is get tired. <laughs> I remember uh, climbing stairs. Uh, you know, in San Francisco, there's a, there's a street called Lion Street, which is not a road. It's just uh, four blocks of stairs. And it's beautiful. It's in a beautiful part of town by the bay. And I used to go do my exercise there. I would make myself walk those stairs six times. And after the third time, I was done <laughs> every single time. But I just kept going and kept going because I knew that by the fifth stair, you know, you get past that hump, you know, that where you're tired and you want to quit when you push past that. And then there's this really nice bump that happens, in, especially when you're exercising. This is all by the way. But it keeps you going, right? You get that second wind and then you're like, you're really into it. And then you've done it. You've done your six times. And there's just that sense of accomplishment. There's that sense of you've disciplined yourself. You've done the right thing that was, that was the best for yourself. And so Swamiji is also saying that for us now. It's like in your spiritual practice, you know, there'll be great days. There'll be days when the sun is shining and the leaves are new and the breeze is beautiful and the smell of the spring flowers is intoxicating. But there's going to be winter too, <laughs> which I found equally beautiful, but very different. You know, but the idea being that this is going to come and go. You know, don't do this because you're going to get something for it. Don't do this to get the joy. Don't do this to be happy. Do this because it's your nature. The rest will come. And in that, the happiness and the misery will be equally meaningful. Will be equally meaningful. Will be equally experienced as the divine. Because you can't have one without the other. You can't know one without the other. If you were always just one volume, you would have no concept of the different range. So in that, it's all relative. It's all relative. So... Understand, as you persevere, that all these ups and downs are, are by the way. That they are, that's how progress happens. You'll find yourself moving forward. So your body is your boat, number one. Uh, Swamiji uh, further wrote a note uh, uh, in a letter from Chicago to, Al to Alasinga. He says, do not be afraid of small beginnings. Great things come afterward. Be courageous. Do not try to lead your brothers. Serve them. This brutal mania for leading has sunk many a great ship in the waters of life. You see my search term. <laughs> Take care especially of that. Be unselfish even unto death and work. I could not write all I was going to say, but the Lord will give you all understanding, my brave boys. At it, my boys. Glory unto the Lord. So your body... What's it for? It's for this exactly, right here, you know. Not to stand up and lead and be the, the, the guy running in the front as an example to everybody. That's not your lot. That's not your role. Your role is to serve. Your role is to love. To manifest that divinity everywhere that you go. Giving, 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 giving. He says, let go of this brutal mania for leading. You know, for accomplishing, for being the one recognized, for being the one out front. Give up the idea of the one who knows what's right all the time, who's got the best answer in the business meeting, who's got the best plan, you know, in the karma yoga group, who knows the most efficient way to wash dishes, <laughs> who knows how the kitchen should be organized. Let go of that, this brutal mania, he calls it, for being a leader, for having to be the one, you know, setting the pace. Let go of that. And do what? Do what? He says, be unselfish even unto death and work. 
you know, my brave boys, go forward and give glory to the Lord. You know, just use this body for what it exists for. It doesn't exist for your pleasure. (laughs) That's hard to convince yourself of. It doesn't. It's not there for you to enjoy. That's, that's, that's not the point of this play. That's not why God is playing, you know. That's why it hurts when you do that. that that's, why, that's why your world tends to collapse, because you can only keep so many balls juggling in the air at one time. So if you're, if you're living this life for pleasure, if you're living it for your own advancement, for your enjoyment, for your ego, for any of those things, you're not going to find what you're looking for. You're looking for God. You're looking for that which you are. So live for service. Live for unselfish action. Live to give. (laughs) Live to give. And that will bring about what you seek. That will give you more than all the money that you could have earned. It will give you a higher self-satisfaction than being the highest paid CEO, whatever it was that might have driven you in other days. And be brave, my friends. Glory unto the Lord. Ship number two. Your ship number two is your ideal. What have you chosen as your highest ideal? The ideals we are, are normally embodied in a Jesus or a Ramakrishna or a Buddha. You know, what is your highest ideal? What has been the best taste of love that you've seen so far? Throw yourself into that. In the gospel, the master says, the rishis of old had timid natures. Only Ramakrishna could get away with that. Can you imagine? (laughs) I can imagine I'll start a Friday night class and my first thing will be, you know, the rishis of old, they kind of had timid natures. (laughs) Suddenly I'm dragged out back. Anyway, Ramakrishna gets away with it. The rishis of old had timid natures. They, They were easily frightened. Do you know their attitude? It was this. Let me somehow get my own salvation. Who cares for others? A hollow piece of driftwood somehow manages to float, but it sinks if even a bird sits on it. But Narada and sages of his kind are like huge logs that not only can float across to the other shore, but can carry many animals and other creatures as well. A steamship itself crosses the ocean and carries people across. So the master's ideal is, again, throw yourself in to a Jesus. Inundate yourself with the life of a Ramakrishna as God has directly given you a hole in the wall of ignorance to look through and see the divine. That's how Thakur used to talk about himself when asked who he was. You know, if you ask me who I am, you know, I'd write you my dating bio. You know, I love movies and blah, 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 blah. That's, that's what I would say. Thakur described himself in a sense of absence. I am a hole in the wall through which God can be seen through which God can be seen. That's your ideal. That's the ideal life. You're not the body getting all the attention and all the glory and everybody praising you. Your ideal is to be the hole in the wall through which God can be seen. That none of the selfishness, none of the smallness of the body and mind cloud or, or, or refract the pure and infinite love of God from coming out, from shining brightly and freely and ever pure. That's your second ship. That's your second ship, your highest ideal. Spend time with it, like Hafiz, in Hafiz's beautiful rendition of his ideal, his beloved. You know, every poem that you read, 
he's just swirling and dancing and drunk in the idea of love and God, so full of that beauty, so full of that perfection. And that's for you. That's for you, your ideal. Dance with your ideal. Soak in your ideal. Enjoy that that infinite love of looking through that hole and seeing the infinite, undefinable mass of light that is your divinity, that is your true self. Ship number three. This room full of people. Your holy company that you hang out with. That is your ship. That's your ship. Now, Swamiji, uh, in this, this article that he was writing in his lectures from Colombo to Almora, is talking about India when he, when he says this. And so without his permission, but I'm sure in his post-approval, I'm going to draw a parallel to, to, to Holy Company together as the, as the, the nation of India. He says, this national ship, it's a long reading, this national ship, my countrymen, my friends, my children, he's talking of India, this national ship has been ferrying millions and millions of souls across the waters of life. For scores of shining centuries, it has been plying across this water, and through its agency, millions of souls have been taken to the other shore, to blessedness. But today, perhaps through our own fault, this boat has become a little damaged. It's sprung a leak. And would you therefore curse it? Is it fit that you stand up and pronounce malediction upon it, that one has has done more work than any other thing in the world? If there are holes in this national ship, this society of ours, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our heart's blood. And if we cannot, then let us die. This is that ideal. You know, we are a group of people who want to see the divine, who are struggling to see love in everything that we look at, to see the bliss of God in our hearts and in the world around us. And we are a ship to each other. We are the strength to each other. We've got faults. We've got shortcomings. But Swamiji says there is no curse for that. There is no curse for that. You know, there is only love for that. He says, all blessings upon you. I have come to you, my children, to tell you of my plans. If you hear them, I am ready to work with you. But if you will not listen to them and even kick me out of India, I will come back and I will tell you that you are all sinking. I am come now to sit in your midst, and if we are to sink, let us sink together. But never let curses rise to our lips. Never let curses rise to our lips. So our, 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 our group here, this Vedanta Center of Greater Washington, I don't, usually we don't, as Vedantans, we don't like to talk in particulars because really the world is our church and the world is our brotherhood, you know. And, and every religion and every non-religion is, is a compatriot in this march toward God, toward the beloved, indeed. But for our own being this morning, we're going to narrow that down to something that we can grab and touch and, and hold on to, something smaller. I'm going to call it this room with everybody here this morning. To be a ship, to cultivate that idea of encouragement, not seeing our faults in each other, not seeing the weaknesses of decisions that are made or the way things should be done or shouldn't be done or, you know, <laughs> whatever those, I laugh because you know, it can be as simple as where, where things are kept in the kitchen or how the yard is mowed or whatnot. Don't let ego be a part of our experience together. Let that hole in yourself through which God can be seen be the defining moment in our times together. 
look into each other's eyes and see that infinite. Look into each other's hearts and always give the benefit of the doubt. Always give that touch of love to one another. The best assumptions first. Never assume the worst. Hold nothing against each other. If there's a problem for a moment, let it go. Fix it and put love in its place. Build each other up. Compliment each other's strengths. When you see somebody do something beautiful, worship them from a distance if you want. Offer a, offer a flower on the shrine because what you saw was God. What you saw was the divine. And that should be honored and that should be encouraged and recognized in everybody. You know, because at, at the lot of the level we spend our days, that encouragement is helpful. I saw something beautiful in you. You're always happy. Tell somebody that. You know, the kind way you treated my friends. I saw something beautiful. I saw God there. You know, don't be afraid about creating ego in another person. That's, that's not for you to worry about. Worship God. Worship God. In the, for, for the Christians, it's very the, 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 sacred, the assembly, they call it. The church is a very important thing. You know, there's, there's several verses, one in Hebrews that says, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more until the day of the Lord approaches. So this idea, you know, come here. Not, not you know, so many weird ways to interpret that. Not because we want to be a bigger group. That's not the point at all. We want to see God. Come and be a part of that with each other. Encourage each other. Be a strength to each other. And in that, you are serving yourself the best way that you can serve yourself like that. Be a place where, be, become a place where God is easily recognized. You know? not, a, not a sect or not a, not a narrowly defined group, but a people based on love, where love can be experienced. Where love can be experienced. This is your ship. This is your ship to sail this ocean with, from which you will jump out and swim in the ocean of Satchit Ananda. Once we have that boat, we need only to do a couple of things. One, <clears throat> I have made you, O Lord, the pole star of my life. No more shall I lose my way in the world's trackless sea wherever I wander. Your brilliance shines undimmed. With your serene and gracious light, you drive all the tears out of my troubled soul. So when you have your boat, your body, your ideal, and your holy company, <laughs> the last thing is to keep God as the pole star. Don't lose sight of why you're doing all of this. Don't lose sight of why you're cooking meals don't lose sight of why you're doing flower arrangements and why you're vacuuming carpets and why you're mowing lawns. Don't lose sight of why you're taking care of your family and why you're going to work. Don't lose sight. Keep your eyes on the divine, that pole star, all the time, directing your boat, that your life becomes an interaction with God. From moment to moment, it comes to being in the presence of your beloved, your closest friend, the dancer of your heart. Spend your time like that. And again, Swamiji, I'm going to close with the same verse that we opened with in Jnana Yoga. A tremendous stream is flowing to the ocean, carrying little bits of paper and straw hither and thither on it. They may struggle to go back, but in the long run, 
they must flow down to the ocean. So, you and I and all nature are like these little straws carried in mad currents toward that ocean of life. Perfection. God. We may struggle to go back or float against the current or play all sorts of pranks, but in the long run, we must go. We must join this great ocean of life and bliss. It is inevitable. It's your choice, though, you know. (laughs) We're all going to get there. That's one of the most beautiful messages of the scriptures, is that God has created us for that union, for that experience. It is the point of this play, for him to dance, you know, and for him to play and to sport. And that can take as long as you want. If you keep your eyes narrow down to just being a piece of straw, it becomes all about the eddies and the currents and the tossings and the getting stuck and the getting broken free. And it becomes about all those little things that are very angst-producing. But if you keep the divine as your pole star, if you keep the big view in mind that this is the play of your beloved, that your salvation, to borrow a word, <laughs> is, is imminent, is, is, is perhaps moments away, but always coming, always promised, then it just becomes a ride. It just becomes a ride. A ride through the divine, full and pregnant with meaning and love and encouragement, full of all the beautiful gems that are found in the ocean of love. I'm going to close with a poem from Hafiz again, where he talks about this. I follow barefoot. I long for you so much. I follow barefoot your frozen tracks that are high in the mountains that I know are years old. I long for you so much that I have begun to travel where I have never been before. Hafiz, there is no one in this world who is not looking for God. Everyone is trudging along with as much dignity, with as much courage, and with as much grace as they possibly can. That's our worldview. That's how we see God in everyone with that assumption of respect, that assumption of dignity, and that assumption of grace that brings us together, that would help us find that divinity within. Let's just take a few minutes of silence. <laughs>